0: I'm Dr. Derek Cohen, and this is The Foundation Podcast. Hello, my name is Derek Cohen, and welcome to The Foundation, the twice-weekly podcast of the Texas Public Policy Foundation. As the legislative session picks up steam, we're looking forward to sitting down with you and tackling the relevant policy discussions going on at the Capitol and in your community. Today, we have a special podcast, two podcasts, actually, as we'll be sitting down with two scholars. Uh, from our Government for the People campaign, James Quintero, the policy director, and Andrew Brown, a senior fellow. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks, Derek, Thanks for having me. Together, they also host the Chase podcast. Now, let me start by asking you, Andrew, what is the Chase? I assume we're not talking about the 1994 movie starring Charlie Sheen.
1: We are not talking about that <clears throat> gem of cinema, although we could probably do a spinoff where we just analyze the beauty of Mr. Sheen's performance in that film. No, The Chase really is a much more focused podcast on policies that are going to directly affect our listeners, their families, and their communities. We know that you all have busy lives, and so it's designed to be fast-paced, fun, and hyper-focused on the most important things that you need to know as we journey through the legislative session.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And as as session gets underway, we've seen many guesses as to what session will hold. Now, we all know that the only thing that has to pass is the budget. So, James, other than the budget, what might we
2: see? Great question. So one of the things that we've uh, one of the, the new innovative approaches that we've taken here at the foundation is we've moved away from our old center based model. And we've all transitioned as an organization into a campaign-based model, which I think has really empowered the foundation in some unique ways. And as part of that transition, we've launched our Government for the People campaign. And that campaign is actually probably one of our more populous uh, movements. And and we're going to be tackling some things that, that affect families, communities, and just about everyone in some really intimate ways. And one of the animating principles that has uh, that we we've, we've organized behind is this idea of consent of the governed. So every day as I walk to to, to the parking garage, one of the things I pass is this big giant libraries and archives uh, building. And on the side of this building is a really great uh, a, a really great statement that again, I think is our one of our animating principles. And here's what it says. It says, all political power is inherent in the people and all free governments are founded on their authority and instituted for their benefit. And it's with that view that we approach the next legislative session.
0: And what, James, do you think that we'll be seeing in this next legislative session, as far as topic areas, broadly speaking?
2: So one of our highest priorities is to ban taxpayer-funded lobbying. Now, you may be wondering, what is taxpayer-funded lobbying? Well, it's the practice where local governments will collect your tax dollars and then use them to hire lobbyists who effectively advocate against the individual. Uh, We encounter them all the time at the Texas Capitol, these publicly funded lobbyists who are out there advocating for higher taxes, more spending, and bigger government. It's because of these taxpayer-funded lobbyists that we are trending in the direction of California, and it is our highest priority as the Government for the People campaign to eliminate that bad practice so that we can get better policy installed in the future.
0: And Andrew, how about yourself? What are you working on with the Government for the People campaign? Our
1: focus really is on the child welfare system and the ways that government gets involved in the private lives of families. You know, Obviously, protecting children from abuse and neglect is an important function, uh, and it's an important duty that I think we all as members of a free society share. Uh, however, we know that the way that the child welfare system operates often... Penalizes families unjustly um, and can even bring families into the system that don't deserve to be there, whether it's because they're innocent of the accusation or because the family is really struggling with issues related to poverty rather than things that are putting children in danger of harm. So, for me, the theme of this session is prevention and accountability. We want to move our child welfare system toward a more compassionate approach that seeks to strengthen families and link them to their local communities, places like churches, nonprofit organizations, charitable organizations that can come alongside families that are struggling and help them address those problems so that they can achieve stability and prosperity. Um, Ultimately, we want to, the child welfare system to be focused on strengthening families rather than separating them. And a big piece of that is recognizing the connection that child welfare involvement has with conditions of poverty and working to alleviate some of those conditions. And the other big piece I mentioned was accountability, uh, looking at how the child protective services agencies actually intervene and when they intervene, when is it appropriate for them to intervene? And make those investigations and interventions more fair and effective by increasing oversight and accountability and really holding CPS to the rules that govern how and when they intervene in the lives of the families. These are issues that we've seen, especially in the last two years, have affected families in all walks of life. Um, And there's a big appetite, I think, at the Capitol to really dig in and get some real reform done this session. And I'm excited about that.
0: And I think you highlighted correctly that this is one of the uh, quintessential kitchen table issues about, you know, family cohesiveness. And I I really appreciate the work you're doing in that space there, Andrew. Now, James, before we move on, I want to make sure to ask you about taxpayer funded lobbying, which you alluded to. It's a complex issue. You know, there seems to be a lot of misconceptions under there. What is it? How is the practice going currently? And what would a uh, a specific reform
2: be? Great question. So one of one of the areas where the opposition is really trying to muddy the water is they have put forward that what we are attempting to do is tantamount to community censorship, and I could I, th- that that assertion could not be more wrong. So what we're effectively trying to do is take taxpayer-funded lobbyists out of the process and establish a more direct connection between state and local officials. So instead of your mayor or your city council member or your county judge relying on a taxpayer-funded lobbyist to communicate the needs of the community to their state representative under this new paradigm, they themselves would be required to take the message to the state official this this actually encourages greater communication between state and local officials now something else when the capital in any given legislative session you have effectively a flood of lobbyists who go and take their particular messages to the state house when they are taxpayer funded that has the uh, unintended consequence of drowning out the voices of the average Joe because those taxpayer funded lobbyists know how to work the system. They have established networks. They're more effective at communicating their message again on the taxpayer dime than the average person who takes their concerns up to the, to their state representative or their state Senator, and doesn't really know how to work the system or how to engage in the process. So if anything, taxpayer funded lobbying is a detriment to the average person that is not only hurting their pocketbook, but their ability to communicate with their elected official.
0: Thank you, James. And Andrew is a senior fellow for the Government for the People campaign. What other areas is the campaign looking at this legislative session?
1: Well, a major area is the ongoing battle over homelessness and how the state responds to our neighbors who are in the most need. Uh, one thing that we're really focused on Again, we keep coming back to this theme of root causes of problems. Rather than having our response to homelessness be, well, let's put them in housing and then they won't be homeless, recognizing that homelessness is a product of any one of a number of conditions and mental health concerns as well as substance abuse issues factor heavily in a person's experience of homelessness. Unfortunately, we're in a place right now in the United States where our federal government policy is only incentivizing communities to pursue the housing angle. There's a policy at the federal level called Housing First. And ultimately, that program says you provide housing, but you can't require services. Services can be available, but there's no requirement that the individuals being served actually engage in those services. And so ultimately, you have cases where somebody will be in housing for a little while, but then their issues will catch up with them and they'll be right back on the street and you have this revolving door that happens. Uh, so we want to address some of those issues and create a process and a system whereby those folks who are experiencing homelessness actually get the support that they need to sustainably rise out of homelessness um, and engage in a more stable lifestyle for those who have the capability to work, earn a living and eventually get into housing that they can pay for themselves. We want to make that happen for them. You know, for those with more severe issues who may not be able to go that far, we want to create a process whereby those issues are controlled and that they can have an existence that is one of dignity and one of prosperity. Um, And really, that's where we're going to be focusing. We're working with state officials as well as local officials on rethinking our state's approach to the homelessness epidemic.
0: You know, you bring up a good point about how we have these almost two different spectrums coexisting. We deal with this a lot in criminology as well and in criminal justice policy at the legislature, that we essentially see two or three unrelated things that people try to actually solve with one, one brushstroke, one fell swoop. You know, what comes to mind is when we talk about issues of um, poverty and criminality, when in truth both are present when dealing with uh, you know, the criminal justice populations, But you can't necessarily base policy on one based on the status of the other. And that's something that we'll be talking about, you know, as we uh, tend to reconvene here and more uh, legislation is filed. But before we move on, James, I want to make sure we also ask you, as a former budget guy when you started here, um, I want to ask you about the budget. What did you see in the budget this year? What gives you hope? What gives you pause?
2: Well, thus far, the legislature has done a good job at holding the line on new spending. So as we all know, we're in a difficult period right now and the legislature needs to do what it must to control the rate of growth of spending and the initial budgets put forward in the House and the Senate thus far c- uh, come in under the conservative Texas budget mark, which is a great thing for taxpayers. There's also uh, some uh, the continuation of tax relief. In both measures. So we're going to see the progress made last session sustained into the next session. Now, what gives me a little bit of pause is that the budgets being put forward actually exceed the amount of money that the controller has said is available under the biennial revenue estimate. And so, where they come up with those additional dollars is going to be the subject of at least a little controversy. You know, they could uh, cut spending, which would be our preference. They could also tap the rainy day fund. There could also be some additional federal aid coming from Washington, D.C., which would be terrible because those come with long-term commitments. Uh, there is no such thing as, as a free lunch, but it's yet to be seen how the budget will ultimately uh, take shape. But I can tell you that at this point in time, which is very early in the process, taxpayers are in good shape.
1: James, the Rainy Day Fund is something that I think we're going to hear a lot about. And for those who may not be as familiar with it, can you give us a really quick breakdown on what that is and how it works?
2: Sure. So the Rainy Day Fund is a, an account that was set up a, a few decades ago, um, and it basically acts as the state's savings account. Um, so the, this, the savings account has a few different revenue streams that uh, that feed it. But basically, over time, the state has been able to accumulate uh, several billion dollars. I believe at last count, it was 12 billion dollars that they have set aside for a quote unquote rainy day. And in the ideal, what that money would be used to do is to pay for one time expenses, things like disasters or unexpected emergencies, or my preference is for tax relief, Uh, that. That money, in some sense, is money that has been over-collected by government. And so I think it makes sense in my mind to return it to the taxpayers once you have accumulated a a significant amount. So um, there's a lot of debate. Of course, the liberals would like to use it to pay for more government programs, which is I I think is the absolute wrong thing to do. You never want to use one-time monies to pay for recurring expenses. But so far, the legislature has done a good job controlling its appetite, and I hope it, uh, I hope it maintains that stance going forward.
0: And, and Andrew, before we, before we close, I want to ask you, in the realm of education, which we see, um, you know, see in close proximity, I'd say, to some of these subject matter areas that government for the people deals with, do you think we're going to see any sort of uh, vast policy shifts in the realm of education this year?
1: I do. And that's being handled by our Next Generation Texas campaign. Um, Those folks are doing an incredible job responding to the new reality that we've all been living with over the last year. And some of the innovations that have happened in education are particularly exciting. And really what's coming out of Next Generation Texas in terms of education policy is moving the system toward one where parents and students have more control over directing their own education and future prospects. So, for example, the shift to virtual schooling and other non-traditional methods have benefited many kids and have underscored the point that we all know to be true, that no two children are exactly alike when it comes to what works for them in terms of education. So we'll be pushing for more flexibility in education choice In addition to that, expanding career and technical education opportunities to allow children to develop marketable skills, and this includes access to things like paid apprenticeships where kids in high school can actually get on-the-job paid experience that helps them discover some of their unique skills and passions. In addition to those two focuses of the Next Generation Texas campaign, uh, we're also focusing on the social safety net, the welfare programs, uh, to Again, move toward generating optimal outcomes for our neighbors in need and make a shift happen in the culture toward one that respects and empowers people to become the agents of their own rise to prosperity.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And guys, I really appreciate you guys joining me today. And I have to say, you know, if you look at where we're at currently up at the legislature, you know, both chambers are gaveled out until February 9th. Uh, We're expecting to hear who is on which committee in the House in that same general time frame. But I got to say, I'm actually fairly optimistic about this session. So far, we have a conservative Texas budget, as James highlighted. Uh, The rumor mill surrounding the governor's state of the state speech, which is Monday at 7 p.m., is highlighting a lot of conservative priorities. Um, And not only that, but we've seen a bunch of bills that are really looking forward to keeping Texas, Texas. How do you feel, James? How do you feel about this coming session?
2: I feel really good. I think we're positioned well. Uh, We have the right message at the right time. I can tell you that um, in my almost 13 years with the foundation, I have never seen the conservative movement more animated or more excited about getting through one particular reform, and of course, that's ending taxpayer-funded lobbying. And the reason why I think the energy is behind that issue is because the movement realizes that if we can get the right solution in place, that will lo- unlock every other victory that we're trying to move across the finish line. So uh, I feel really good with wh- where we're at in this legislative session. And I look forward to signing die in May.
0: How about you, Andrew? How are you feeling? I'm really
1: optimistic about this session. And over the last year, we didn't really know what session was going to look like. And now that it's taking shape, I'm excited about where it's going. Uh, As James said, I think the conservative movement is energized. Uh, But more than that, the conservative movement is energized around really deep, thoughtful, data driven policies uh, that are going to help the average Texan realize a more prosperous future. I think that's the key to what makes our movement different is the intellectual firepower that we're bringing into the Pink Dome this session. Um, And I think we're going to see a lot of positive change
0: for the state. Thank you for that. And thank you for joining us here on the Foundation Podcast. Be sure to hit the subscribe button for episodes here with me, as well as my colleagues in the also weekly Chase Podcast. We look forward to catching up with you next week. In the meantime, please visit www.texaspolicy for information on these issues and many others. We'll be seeing you.